Now, before any more guests turn up, I've just got time to play my Christmas flexi disc from the Beans of Carrot and Octopurists fan club. Let's have a listen. Hello, I'm Mrs. Slocum. And I'm Mr. Humphreys. And we're having a wonderful Christmas time in our special festive Grace Brothers Grotto, right here on that bit of carpet in front of the lifts. And any minute now, we'll be having a nice bit of stuffing and pulling a couple of crackers, which is difficult to do when you're all facing the same way. I don't know about you, but I reckon we're just as good as Peep Show. We did ten series as well, most of which weren't shit. Indeed. I'm but anyway... About, oh. oh, 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 everyone, look busy. Here comes Captain Beefheart. Oh, blimey. Um, excuse me, Cap- Captain Beefheart, I-, I must protest about these costumes. I mean, we look ridiculous. Well, that's all very well, Captain Beefheart, but my mother says lime green lederhosen simply doesn't say autumn winter 1975. Yes, and they're playing havoc with my cat. Ugh. Oh, Captain Beefheart's not listening. He's in a world of his own. Well, we'd better wish the sitcom club a Merry Christmas and get out of here. Yes, good idea. Merry Christmas, sitcom club. May you continue serving us for many years to come. Did you see what I did there? Yes, very good. Um, are you free, Mr. Humphreys? No. Oh. Thank you very much indeed, Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Humphreys, a.k.a. Bean as a Carrot and Urk the Purists. Merry Christmas to you both. Ah, I spot G. Hello there. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm no bad, I'm no bad at all. Thank you very much indeed for dropping by. It's our lovely festive gathering. I hope the snow outside, because it's got to be snowing, because it's Christmas, I hope the snow wasn't too bad. Underfoot. Uh, not too bad at all. Well, that's the good thing about modern technology these days. You can have a gathering like this, and it doesn't really matter if it's snowing or not. But now I'm pulling back the curtain, I shouldn't be doing that. So, no, enough of that. Well, first thing to ask you is, when did you first see Peep Show? How did you first discover it? I first... Oh, I can't think. It must have been back in secondary school, so probably around the first or second series and just a couple of my friends were talking about it and quoting it a lot and I wondered what they were quoting so I asked them and they said oh yeah you should try this so peer pressure got me into peep show. (laughs) I suspect a lot of people probably had their arm twisted into seeing it. What was the general reaction then amongst your peers when you saw this at first was this were you sort of looking upon this as if it was something that was relevant to yourselves because I don't know I mean you could sort of describe this as a sitcom for millennials I guess you could say. I suppose so. I mean, I guess at the time that I started watching it, obviously it was subjects and things like obviously work and flat sharing and that sort of thing, and we're obviously too young for that. But I guess the stage, like, especially with Mark, and he's socially awkward, and I guess when you're a teenager, you're sort of at that funny stage of your life where you are socially awkward and trying to figure out who you are and how to react around people. So I guess you can relate to that, and I think that's why it was appealing to us. I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked immediately, but that leads me to ask then because I actually I had my arm twisted into seeing the Inbetweeners in late 2000s I mean are you a fan of that as well and how does that sort of compare in terms of depictions of social awkwardness I do like the Inbetweeners I think again that came out at a time where we were in sixth form so again that was probably a lot more relatable to us but Peep Show I don't know there's something about it you kind of get the whole socially awkwardness of life I guess whereas I suppose with Inbetweeners it's sort of just fitting into adolescence and growing up and moving on whereas peep show sort of like we're here now we've got to deal with it which came in useful when i was at uni i watched a lot of peep show while i was at uni on netflix let's start with the obvious because it's been interesting actually as i've been speaking to everybody today that some people have sympathy 
or empathy with Mark and Jez and some people don't. So where do you stand on that? Can you empathize with Mark and Jez? They don't always make it easy for themselves, let's be honest. No, they always seem to get thrown into really unfortunate situations, which I guess isn't their fault, but it's a funny one because I don't particularly like even Mark or Jez. I suppose I feel a bit more sympathy for Mark because I find Jez a bit sort of... It's more of a liar and more manipulative and the things that he comes out with are probably worse than Mark but I don't know I don't really have a lot of sympathy for them there are times that you do feel sorry for them like I guess when um obviously Sophie was pregnant you do feel sorry for Mark then because obviously he's trying to start a new relationship and get over it and then he's like oh I've got a baby to deal with now as well whereas Jess lies to impress and I don't really feel that sorry for him now here's a really odd question okay and it's sort of putting you on the spot because it's probably oh, a question you've not been asked before and it's something that you don't necessarily have an immediate sort of quick fire response right. to. But I don't want to put ideas into the BBC's head because I know that they've got all these wild plans about bringing back various sitcoms and so on. But let's say, for example, if on Netflix there was a button alongside like the subtitles and the 5.1 HD and what have you, if there was a button that you could press and immediately you could hear the inner thoughts of your favourite sitcom characters, would you press it? And which sitcom would you do it with? Oh, good question, good question. I don't know if I'd want to all the time, because I think that's the beauty of Peep Show, because it's something that you don't really see often, so it's quite nice to go to that and visit it and see it everywhere. But I don't think I'd want it for every show, I don't think. Quite a lot of the shows that I watch, like The Good Life and things like that, you can sort of tell what the characters are thinking, like especially like Margot and people like that, like by her facial expressions and the way she sits and things. I think you can sort of tell what's going on in her head so I don't think it's always something that's needed but I think maybe if there was a button there and you could just press it and just see if you were right or not it might be quite good but then it might take away from the show and it might spoil it because if what's going on in her head is just like a bit like Mark and Jez like swearing and it's not her really how you think she would be it might ruin it. You see any such button any such function would have to be faithful to the original text so you wouldn't want somebody coming along like i don't know i'm gonna throw out some modern names russell howard josh widdicombe or somebody like that or what's his name jack whitehall i wouldn't want them saying what they think tom good would be saying or whatever it may be but i would be interested there are certain situations which would be of interest to me like for example what if anything would be going through frank spencer's head <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean because it would be I'm trying to think, would it actually be like a series of linear thoughts like Mark and Jez or would it be more sort of noises or something like that? Oh, know. good question. And the more we're talking about it, the more you sort of think, yeah, I'd quite like to listen to this. I'd quite like to see what's going on. It's probably bad. You probably don't really want to know what's going on in Frank Spencer's head. As far as Betty is concerned, Betty has the patience of a saint and it would be interesting to see if this is a front or if it's something that sh she really is that tolerant of himself but I don't know maybe we'll get an inkling when because presumably we're going to get this sort of revival or retrospective whatever it may be next year so who knows as far as Gary Sparrow is concerned I reckon if you could hear what's in Gary Sparrow's head I, I would like to think that it's just going to turn him into this mythical series 7 Gary Sparrow <laughs> immediately so all this business about he's uneasy about doing all this and what have you I mean that the temptation to just think in his mind is to think right okay I've landed on my feet here right what am I going to do first I still don't quite understand why Gary Sparrow doesn't just become like Biff in Back to the Future 2 uh, and make a billion from his betting racket. 
that's another reason they hear Gary Sparrow's inner thoughts, because maybe you'd actually work out then why he's being so nice with this opportunity that he's got. It's quite interesting, because you do sort of, as you watch it, you think, oh, I know why they're doing this. He's doing this because he doesn't want to change history or whatever. But it would be quite nice to hear his inner thoughts and think why he doesn't want to change history, because he could go and kill Hitler and all our problems would be solved. But he doesn't, so it'd be quite interesting to know how he's reached that decision. Of course, the peep show method does cause consternation for the sitcom universe because it actually puts a lot of sitcom characters at risk of redundancy because so often you've got secondary characters say for example say Ron and Goodnight Sweetheart now Ron sometimes gets involved in the action but principally he's there as a sounding board for Gary, Gary yeah. so that Gary can explain what, what he's doing yeah. Now, yeah now if you could hear what's inside Gary's head would you need Ron to be there would still need Ron because obviously he needs him for currency and printing things and excuses for Yvonne but otherwise not for reasoning I don't think he probably would so there's a lot less necessity for yeah I guess additional so. dialogue from the character yeah because I guess Ron um, is Gary's conscience and he's battling with his conscience but he's doing it through Ron so if you can hear him thinking you probably wouldn't need those scenes where they're in the shops talking about what to do so perhaps the group of sitcom characters which is most at risk from this foolhardy Netflix initiative. Perhaps they are our conduits, so those people who turn up on day one of their new job, and so they're going to find out everything about uh, who's who and, and, and why things are the way they are and so on. If we can already hear the inner thoughts of the existing staff, then I guess we don't need that person. So I don't. I think Equity's going to have something to say about this button. This button that doesn't exist and I've just made up and isn't going to happen. Yeah, if it ever turns up on the horizon, then I'm going to say to Netflix, no. We don't want that, or at the very least have the option to turn it off. We don't want it like a DVD commentary, which is permanently on. No, I don't think you would want it permanently on. I think it would take away from sitcoms. And I think that's why Peep Show works so well, because it's the only one that does it. So what are your views on the various secondary characters in Peep Show? We've got a succession of people. I mean, obviously, we've got Superhands. Is he somebody who you would want to have any association with whatsoever in real life? No, I don't think I would, really. He's, like, completely opposite to me, but he's entertaining to watch, and I think out of all the secondary characters, Superhands is probably the one that I find the most entertaining because he's so wacky and crazy. It's such a contrast to Mark and Jez and how rigid they are. So I think that's why he works really well. And then, of course, we've got Sophie initially. Now, this is an odd question, but do you have a favourite Sophie? I mean, Series 1 Sophie is very different from, say, Series 4 Sophie, who's very different from Series 7 Sophie. Probably Series 1 Sophie, I think, because obviously that's the Sophie that you first meet, and you think, oh yeah, she'd be quite well suited to Mark, she's nice, she's easygoing, that sort of thing, whereas I don't want to say she becomes a bitch later on, because she doesn't really, but she sort of becomes a lot harder, and you don't really feel that sorry for her, but I guess you're supposed to feel sorry for Mark and the situation that he's in, and the whole mess. Yeah, she's a lot more, I'd say, hard-headed yeah. later on. Yeah, definitely. And that's understandable with their son and what have you. So it will be interesting, and a quick repetition here, we're not discussing Series 9 in this podcast, so it'll be interesting to see if Sophie actually does turn up uh, at any point in this series, and people who've already seen it probably already know by now, and they're shouting at their podcast and saying, oh, no, no, remember that, that crucial last scene when she turns up and everything falls into place that's been going on for the past 12 years suddenly makes sense, like last piece in a jigsaw, I don't know. And do you have a favourite character within Peep Show of any particular series? Perhaps maybe even like a character who turns up, because there are some characters who turn up in just one episode, for example, or, or one series, rather. Good question. I mean, 
I feel like I should say Dobby because obviously Izzy Sooty is from my neck of the woods and she's the most famous person to have gone to my secondary school. So I feel like it should be her, but it's not. I don't know. I did like Sophie. I did like her and Mark together. I don't know. I think the beauty of it is all the characters that they bring in, even the minor characters, they're all so different and they're all quite entertaining in their own way. So I don't think I do have a favourite character, no. It's not one of those shows where I really sit down and I home in on a character and think, yeah, I really like you because there's so many different characters throughout and they're so different. But I don't really find any of the characters in Peep Show that likeable, if I'm honest. I don't know whether that's because they're all sort of human and they've got their own sort of quirks and faults like Zor, but no, I don't really find any of them really that appealing. Are there any particular aspects of Mark or Jesse's character that you'd either add or subtract that you think would make them a much, much better person? I think Jez needs to think a bit more. I ask Jez and Mark, really, because they obviously get caught in situations and they say something stupid to try and make them look a better person. Like, Jez says to um, his girlfriend that he's the father of Sophie's baby to make him look like a better person and to be more caring. He doesn't really think of the repercussions that could have for Mark when he finds out that he is the real father of Sophie's baby. So I guess, yeah, I guess they probably need to think before they open their mouths, have a bit more backbone and say when they get driven into crazy situations, go, no, we're not standing for this, we're not going along with it, and just be honest, really. That is a a fairly frequent complaint of Dobby's is that Mark doesn't really have a backbone. Yeah, exactly. And... I don't know what Mark needs to do about that. Maybe he needs to go into some sort of... Like you get assertiveness classes. Can you get backbone classes? I don't know. <laughs> does he need to just go on one of them? He definitely needs he to get, grow a pair, that's for sure. Can he just buy them off eBay? I don't know. You <laughs> uh, can get anything on eBay these days. I have one complaint about Dobby, which isn't really about Dobby. Okay. Though, but I wasn't a great fan of Series 8. And part of the reason I wasn't a fan of Series 8 was because of Dobby's friends. Because I found Dobby's friends very dull. Yeah, I know what you mean. So do you agree? Because I don't know if I'm being too harsh on them, but they, they seem to be always there, but they're just being fairly normal. I guess because obviously Dobby is so kooky herself, you wouldn't really associate her with having normal friends. And I suppose she's quite a colourful character and she's quite three-dimensional. She brings them down and they just look boring. And in comparison to Dobby, I guess, they're dull and lifeless and there's not a lot of need for them, I didn't think. Isla, Mark or Jez... Because, again, we're taking this from the end of Series 8. So, do we think that Mark or Jez, if they were to run off to New York to be with Dobby, do you think they'd actually thrive in Manhattan? Or, I mean, there's potentially a spin-off sitcom in this itself. I can't see Mark liking the Americans at all and the American way of life. I think he'd just find them arrogant, obnoxious, and he'd hate everything about it. I don't think he'd survive for a second. Jez, he might do, he might enjoy it, and he he might be like, oh, yeah, and live it up as a holiday. And then after six months, his money run out and everything and he gets into trouble and he's got nobody to get him out and he'd want to come home, really. I don't think they'd survive at all. I'm not even convinced that Jez would have the correct documentation to be there in the first place. No, no, that's a good point, actually. (laughs) He'd probably get carted off by immigration or something. He'd said the wrong thing at the airport. So do you have any particular favourite episodes of Peep Show or even like a particular favourite series? I do like series four. That is the one where he marries Sophie into it. Yeah, the conclusion, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. I like how that all comes together I think that's really good because you're sort of wanting it all to happen well I was anyway and I like how they bring that in and Sophie's parents and how they bring her her parents in and what effects it has for Mark and Jez I think that was really well played out it's interesting actually that even though Mark doesn't have 
a great deal of backbone. Occasionally, he will actually... I mean, even though he does it in the worst possible way during the wedding, he will sort of assert himself and think, look, I'm ending up in a situation which I don't really want to be in here and do something about it. It's just that his methodology isn't very, very smart. But he could have set up for the quiet life. He could be living in Nana's cottage with Sophie, pretending to be nice to Sophie's parents. And he could have that little job on the farm where he doesn't really have to do anything. So that means he's going to be doubly nice to Sophie's parents. And yeah, I mean, that, that would just be it then for like the next 40 or 50 years. But he just should have decided that maybe before the invitations went out. That's the trouble. I think his downfall is he gets in too deep before he decides, actually, no, I can't deal with this. This isn't right. Well, I guess that's why it's so funny because the deeper he gets in, to all this trouble, the harder it is for him to get out and the more entertaining it is for us to watch. Post Peep Show, is there any particular character who you would most like to see in a spin-off? Maybe Superhands, actually. Maybe Superhands and his band and what he's up to, his little escapades. I think that'd be quite good. Interesting. Bog and Struvia said the same thing, Superhands. So that's two votes for Superhands now. And yes, I suspect that... wouldn't surprise me if he was to turn up I think somewhere. as a sitcom, that would be... He'd be the best character to focus on and the most entertaining. And then finally, what would you like to see for Mark and Jez? I mean, even if it's not like a definitive happy ever after permanent ending, but I mean, can you, can you think of where you'd like to see them? Maybe if we were to revisit them in five years' time, where would you like to see Mark and Jez? I don't know. I think Jez maybe finally sort of make it in the music industry and got a track in the um, top 50 iTunes column. But obviously, maybe it'd be quite good if it was really, really bad. And that's why everybody bought it, because it was really, really bad. But he thought, oh yeah, I've made it. Everybody's loving it. That'd be quite good for him. And Mark, I don't know. Part of me sees him as going back to Sophie and the little boy and going back to suburbia. I could see him doing that, but I don't know if he'd really want to. I could see Mark being really, really narked and upset as was once sort of implied, it was, it was a possibility, it was on the cards, that Jez could make it in the music industry, perhaps not entirely through his own efforts, but perhaps just by combination of being in the right place at the right time, just pure luck. And meanwhile, Mark is still slaving away in his new gig and working his way up the corporate ladder and so on. And suddenly so, yeah, Jez has made would, it, yeah. Mm, that would really rankle with him. I think that would be quite course, interesting. But of course, if Jez can make it overnight, then he can come crashing down overnight. So Absolutely. And Jez is one of the people that you'd see frittering away all the um, money on stupid things. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can, I can see him. Him and Superhands uh, getting involved in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can I can see I can see definitely see Jez ending up in some sort of courtroom battle over the ownership of a particular lyric or a particular song composition or something like that and, and you know that it's not gonna go well for him. Thank you very much indeed for dropping by to our Christmas swaddy. Now over there we have I think they are toasted baguettes. They've just come fresh out of the oven, so help yourself to Fabulous, those. Fabulous, thank you. And yeah, feel free to mingle. And in the meantime, have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. You have a brilliant Christmas too. Welcome, Squiddy, to the Sitcom Club Christmas Soiree. Pleased to be here. So let me ask you first of all then, would you describe yourself as a peep show devotee? Oh, not a devotee. That's far too strong a word for what I am. For me, peep show is sort of divided into three sections. Well, but now it's four sections with the extra series. They are the first two series which I think are very good, good to very good. Three, four, and five, which are mostly good, 
then six, seven, and eight, which are kind of mediocre but with some good stuff in it. And now it's just come back with a with a quite a strong series. I was surprised. I was looking at the episode guides on Wikipedia to sort of catch up, and there were whole storylines, like six episode arcs that I'd completely forgotten. Characters. Yeah. It was like first introduction of Gale, and I'm like, was there a Gale? Was there ever a Gale? Yeah, I must admit that I, I tend to overlook series eight. It's just like one big offshoot, which doesn't really go anywhere. Eight is definitely the low point, but I think six and seven as well are getting close. But it, it's funny, there are, there are people out there who treat it as a soap. And so they can say, oh, now that Mark's dating such and such, this is a bit like mirroring when Mark was doing this. And uh, I have no memory of that. I don't sort of follow it like a soap. I follow it sort of very episodically and think, oh, that wasn't a very good episode. <laughs> or that was a very good episode, depending. Do you think that a lot of people do that with television in general these days? I mean, I notice that people who tend to tweet a great deal about things like uh, maybe Doctor Who or Game of Thrones or whatever it may be, you do get the sense that some people are treating it like a soap opera. I'd say people treating it like a soap opera is kind of written like a soap opera. You do get these recurring characters and recurring threads. I find this with myself. If you're not into soap operas, you have to find something else that has a narrative that you can attach onto. And for most men, this is very uh, generalizing. Men who don't watch Eastenders get into sport and they sort of follow sport, which becomes a soap opera. You know, who's going, who's winning this week, who's losing this week, who's broken their ankle. I don't follow sport, so I get into sort of comedy. So I have followed certain comedies, soap opera aspects. Stuff like Scrubs I was very into, just interested in the characters' lives for a while uh, until that got really bad. And funnily enough, Two Pints. I always thought the soap aspect of Two Pints of Lager and a Packed of Chris was much stronger than its comedy. But the two sort of balance off each other. You know, I don't need to tell you, but the best sitcoms are the ones where you care about the characters. And yeah. I don't necessarily mean care about them in a nice way, because, you know, it's the old cliche about some of the best comedy characters are awful, awful people. Blackadder and uh, Dazzle Faulty and all that. But you certainly, you're on their side, I should say. You're hoping they have a success. Whatever, whatever they would count as a success. Yeah, I can, um, defi- I can definitely see that, and I agree with you about sport as well. You're a big wrestling fan, I am indeed, yes. Very indeed, much yes. the, the epitome of soap meets sports. Yes, indeed. Well, the, the, of course, it has the, the tag sports entertainment. And mm. uh, supposedly, yeah, they, they do actually say in their promotional material to advertisers that it has soap operatic elements to it. But even legit sport, I mean, yeah, things like, say, football and what have you, you've got a story arc, if you want to call it that. Over 10 months, you have a league table that yeah, constantly absolutely. changes. absolutely. So. And people follow it, and they know the names and the characters, so, so to speak, and the charts and everything. Yeah, but that's never appealed to me. But I do follow, you know, if a sitcom has quite an interesting arc, I'll follow that and get invested in the characters. So on, um, on, as, with regard to Peep Show, then, which characters in Peep Show would you say? Yes, you I was going to say, I never really got into Peep Show in that way. I, I can't quite explain why that is. I, I, the characters are quite strong, and the jokes are quite funny. But I never really got into, oh, I hope Mark finally... There's a lot of lot of opinions I've seen at the moment of people really hoping there's a happy ending. I'm like, I'm not too bothered. <laughs> I just hope they continue, you know. Some people yeah, do sort of live through it vicariously, and I suspect... That said, I still know people who are annoyed at the ending of Game On. The fact that there isn't a solid ending to Game On. They just sit and uh, and have the same miserable life forever. I have to say, personally speaking, I was just glad that Game On ended. <laughs> <laughs> It's a a whole other debate came on, and it's ups and downs. So, I mean, in in the course of, say, the first couple of series, because you said that you felt the first couple of series were particularly strong, what was it about Mm. the series that that attracted you to it? The feeling at the time is that they came out of nowhere. Bane and Armstrong were not especially strong writers. 
from the time, you know, doing sketches and things. And Mitchell and Webb were not especially strong performers, you know. They, they were around and they were doing s- sketches and things. And, you know, failed sitcoms and whatever. All of which were okay, but nothing that would point to greatness. And then all of a sudden this really funny, really clever sitcom comes along. And what I liked about it was not so much the gimmick of point of view perspective, but the fact that it was pretty much almost initially dispensed with. It just It's just meaningless. It just works as a good sitcom. And the fact that you can hear their thoughts meant that they would have to put in a bit of extra effort in the writing. You can't have a pause. You can't have an embarrassing gap. You can always stick in something else funny, either in the script or afterwards in the, in the dub. It was a very rich, full show for 25 minutes on Channel 4. And then the second series, knowing this going in, was even better. I don't know. They sort of upped their game. And I think it opens with, with the college episode with April and Peter Capaldi, which is probably as good as Peep Show gets. And then it just sort of flattened out from there. Yeah, that, that is a particularly good episode. And just thinking that I don't think this would have been by design necessarily. But as you were saying there, because you've got the internal monologues, you can't mm. have any pauses, you can't have any awkward silences. And so Peep Show actually works in a way that so many other shows of that era don't because so many shows, and it still applies in 2015, so many shows are aping The Office. And they're yes. still full of the awkward silence and the yeah. exaggerated uncomfortableness of other people and so on and of course we can't have this in this so it's almost like yeah that this is actually something different that's going out one of the big problems with that documentary format that the office so popularized is that you can be very lazy you'll have a scene where a character's doing something and then you'll cut to them doing an interview and saying oh i hated doing that cut back to them saying oh i love doing this cut back to them doing the interview and, and explaining their real thoughts. Uh, parodied quite well in the first episode of the new Muppet series, funnily enough. But in Peep Show, you kind of avoid that by having them simultaneously. There's no after-the-fact interview. The sort of after-the-fact interview is going on live in their head. It's quite clever. You don't get that sitcom thing of a character just saying, or, you know, expressing their emotions bluntly. They have to be subtle on the surface, and then you cut back to inside their head and hear the truth which is hopefully a funny one-liner. Around that time, the early 2000s, there was, they were doing a lot of shows single camera, inspired by the success of The Office. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, you kind of thought, well, this would be funnier with an audience. It's got all the pauses. It's, it's not very funny. Something like The Creatives, that strange Jack Doherty sitcom, I think the second series of that was done without an audience. And it really made a huge difference to the tone of it. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? Small Potatoes. Oh, that was the I'm other just, one. I was just going to say that. That's exactly what I was just yeah. thinking of there. And then I've actually I've just been going through 200 VHS tapes. And I don't have my Small Potatoes recordings anymore, which I'm rather disappointed about. That's the only show I can think of. Unless the creatives did this work, I never saw the creatives. But yeah, Small Potatoes has the Free Walls audience. And then second series, it's film, perhaps inverted commas, I'm not sure. Single camera, no audience. I can't remember with the creatives. It might have been the other way around. They definitely did some with an audience and some without. But I can't remember the order. You know, the only other show I can think of doing that is not a sitcom. It's the uh, Peter Serafinowicz show, which I believe, am I right in thinking, did actually have a laughter track recorded for the series, but they didn't use it. And then when they had the Christmas special and the new episode, then they did reintroduce audience laughter. There's a few of those, yeah, where they just... Uh, I remember when Black had a back and forth... 
which is a short film, you know, shown at the Dome with two alive audience. The BBC recorded a, a laugh track when they were going to broadcast it, and I think it did go out on the BBC with a laugh track, even though it had gone out on Sky without. But it's a weird one, because that's like doing, you know, Some Like It Hot with a laugh track. The pauses are there for laughs, but they're for live audience laughs. Of course, the, the, the classic one is always MASH, isn't it? Because people in i suspect people in britain are still not really used to the idea of mash going out with a laugh track even though it has been on various channels starting with sky ever since it left the bbc and now when it turns up on say i don't know true entertainment or whatever channel it's on these days normally it does turn up with a laugh track but it still doesn't feel right it doesn't seem right at all that must be the only case of where the individual episodes are shown with a laugh track or without a laugh track rather than different series of course there was that one episode that went out in bbc with both do you remember that? It was, I think, this was about 87, 88, and there was one episode where it went out, and it had the laugh track included. And then about 10 minutes in, quick flash of colour bars, and then back to the episode, and no laugh track, and something had obviously <laughs> gone amiss. There's a couple of Monsters episodes without a laugh track as well, and they're, they're very odd. Sort of turns it into a film noir, almost. I know that Ocho mentioned on the podcast before about the Adams Family going out on BBC without a laugh track, but still with oh. these long pauses where, you know, the characters would be waiting and silently standing whilst the laughter is, is ongoing. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. I, th- I think the Munsters did it as well. I'm, I'm trying to f- flog my memory for those 90s repeats. I know that uh, the editor of Mrs. Merton and Malcolm once told me they, they recorded a laugh track for that, oh. but nobody laughed, so they just ditched it. <laughs> Yeah, I've sometimes suspected that when things turn up, sometimes on ITV in their classes of comedy drama, I'm thinking, did you originally mean it's a comedy drama or did the drama just sort of creep in mm. where the laughs didn't? So, okay, so. It's weird, it's weird when they do that, record a laugh track after the fact, because the joy of a laugh track is that the cast are reacting to it. Well, I remember Red Dwarf 7 that they had exactly that. They had the audience recorded after the event and it was drowning out some of the dialogue and it just didn't feel mm. right at all. It didn't match up. Of yeah. course, that's why you... Because then, then you've got shows like, you know, Cheers and so on actually saying it's recorded in front of a live studio audience. Where, where, where did that oh, first come from, by the way? Where, where was the that first time was, that was ever used? Oh, I heard an interview with someone about that. Who was it? Was it? I think it was Ken Levine. I heard a podcast with Ken Levine, one of the founding writers on Cheers, and he explained that the laughs were so big all the reviews were complaining about this awful canned laughter. And he had to say, no, they're all authentic. We never tweaked it. That's authentic laughter. So that's why they stuck the the, uh, disclaimer on the front. I have to pay tribute to Hank McCune, who I think was the first comedian to use a laugh track. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. His shows were going out pre-recorded and without an audience, so he added on other laughter. And uh, then he sold the laughter to other people for quite a lot of money. And then I think he retired and bought boats. I tried to do some research into him once. I thought it was such an interesting story and I never quite finished the writing. There was a really good little documentary, wasn't there, about, I think it's about maybe five years ago or so, a little half an hour piece on Radio 4 and it was about the guy who was principally associated with inventing canned laughs on American television and how he had the full-on box of tricks with all the different laughs and applause all stored within it. Yes, I think Hank McCune was the first person to use it, but this other guy invented this box where you could how loud the laughter you want if you wanted laughter with clapping laughter with a bit of sadness <laughs> and so he was the sort of pioneer and you used to hear stories of people watching shows in the 80s you know sitcoms in the 80s and hearing like their late aunt laughing at Lucille Ball or whoever because they just reused the track 
<laughs> People going, hey, that's my aunt's laugh. Wow. She died in 1963. Occasionally you do hear distinctive laughs on shows which are coming from the same company. Uh, so, so yeah, if you're listening to like a laugh track on a Thames show from a particular era, then you think, oh, this is probably somebody who's a regular attendee at Teddington I, I, or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah, well, there's that streaking woman who's always on Monty Python, and then you can sort of hear her on, I think, Dad's Army and other things. There's a woman with quite a distinctive laugh on some of the Morecambe and Wise shows from around about mid to late 1970s. Yeah, I guess you've you, you got to be careful when you're, when you're I, selecting your laughs. Because sometimes you do also get instances where the laughing can be intrusive if it's like a small group of people uh, making a lot oh, of yeah. noise. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember, what was it called? Heartburn Hotel, the mm. John Sullivan series. Yes. From about 15 years ago. There's one episode where the lift's broken or something and, and the characters are stuck in the lift. And of course, and the other characters are moving to get in the lift and audience laughs because they know what they're going to find. But, and you can hear, clearly hear someone in the audience going, oh, they're going to the lift. <laughs> it just sounds like a Noel Edmonds gotcha. But that's the, the joke is the anticipation. But I just sort of picture this guy nudging his wife. Oh, they're going to the lift. I'm going to have to seek that. I've got to find that now. Right. I'm, I'm going to go looking for that. <laughs> it's a hard one to prove since nobody taped Heartburn Hotel. And quite rightly. <laughs> This is now my challenge for the new year. I will go looking for this episode. And if, if I can find Honey for Tea, you know, since we found Honey for Tea, anything's oh. possible, basically. You know, we found Honey for Tea, we found Mother's Ruin, for goodness sake. We've, we found most of A Prince Among Men. There's some episodes still looting me. Did you ever see The Old Guys a few years back? Oh, yeah, yeah, with um, Roger Lloyd Pack and Five Swift? Yes, no. Jane Asher? Would you say that that was a glimpse? of peep show in say 2045 very much yeah almost like to cartoony levels that was the sort of cheap review at the time people going oh it's old peep show oh a peep show haha but uh no it, it's exactly the same i said it earlier but i don't know if bane and armstrong are the world's best writers <laughs> so i think if they have to write two people in a in a house together it's not going to be too difficult from their other sitcom with two people in a house together one thing I do like about Ben Armstrong's work is that they've got so many little references to. Okay, now it's just me personally, but bits and pieces that I would enjoy, like for example, you know, Mark constantly referring to his book on Stalingrad, oh, yeah. and in, in the old guys was reference to Roger Lloyd Pack's character sitting watching old editions of Question Time, Robin Day era, and I'm not quite there yet, but I'm I'm, I'm close to that. You know, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if eventually I was to find a torrent of every question time and I just think, do you know what? Yeah, this will do me next six months. Yeah, well, rather you than me. <laughs> the, the thing to find would be, I can't remember what it was called, but the, the BBC had a, they were looking for new sitcom talent. Do you remember yes, this? Yes, this is a thing on BBC Three. Was it Don Warrington and Melvin Hayes? Yeah, Melvin Hayes and Don Warrington. Yes, the old guys, and I think that was the only series to make it to a pilot, to make it to a series, rather. They used to plot about how they, they both fall for the same professional lady, and they, mm. I think they had like half of the story in there, and yeah, that, that then became part of an episode of The Old Guys, but I think it was something like, well, it must be at least about what, five years between the two. Oh yeah, yeah, long gap. And I don't know who won the competition either. I've got the book somewhere with all the scripts in it. And you're supposed to finish the scripts yourself, but... Oh, right. Was this something you sent off for? And... I, I can't remember. I think a WH Smith exclusive or something weird like that. Core. All the scripts that had been written, 
so you could go home and ape the style. And of course, then that leads nicely on to my final question to you. Could you bear the idea of reading through huge pages of peep show fan fiction because you know that people are already writing series 10 and 11 and 12 and this will probably continue for the next 20 odd years i could be bitchy and say that um series 8 was peep show fan fiction but i won't no i thought what you were going to ask was could you read the scripts like the official scripts if they released them in a book because peep shows are a weird one it's a big money maker for channel 4 in this country anyway but they haven't really done too much with it DVDs, and I think there is a, a script book, but not much else. There is a script book. I've got it sitting next door. I'm trying to remember if it ah. is it just the first two or three series. It's something like that. I've never picked it up. I, I remember, I think it was after series two, one of the scripts started circulating online, and it was really interesting to see how they would fight, you know, the inner thoughts versus the, the on-screen action in, the, in these columns. I don't know if that comes across in the book. They did a nice little thing, because I've got the bottom script book next door as well, and that oh, was yeah. only series one, and that had material in it which didn't make the final cut. But the They far... definitely did bottom series two, because I've got that somewhere. Oh, smashing, cool. No, the Father Ted script book, they, I think they published the last but one script for every episode. So they were trying to find a different sort of take on the idea and saying, look, you know, this is not just a transcript of the shows that you've got. You can spot the differences here. The Ted script book and Men Behaving Badly script book, though it's not complete, they're both very good because they're annotated. They've got these introductions explaining what was changed and where ideas came from. This is a whole other debate, you know, the, the transcript versus the script book. Uh, the bottom one, the second one anyway, isn't very interesting, but occasionally a weird bit of script direction sneaks through. I remember there's a gag about Richie and Eddie look at each other quizzically, and we don't mean like Bob Holness, or do we? We're crazy guys. Obviously just snuck past the editor. <laughs> but I think that's just about it. That's the only interesting bit I seem to recall. But no, I'm, I'm sure that, they're, because obviously they're going to bring out Series 1 to 9 box at Peep Show just now. I'm sure there'll be a full all script book coming out. And when you're saying about how it's a moneymaker for Channel 4, because that's what's really kept Peep Show going all these years, it's not the ratings, it's the, the DVD sales. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's the British Family Guy. So even though they're saying that this is going to be the last one, and I don't doubt that that's their intention, but it really wouldn't surprise me in maybe two or three years to hear Netflix say, hey, guess what, everybody, we've got a new series of Peep Show exclusive to Netflix or Amazon or whoever it is. wouldn't surprise me if they do like a comic relief special next year or as soon as that. I don't know. I mean, you know, I haven't seen the last episode yet. But presumably it doesn't end with a bloodbath or a gay wedding or any of the other things people are predicting. So I'm sure the door is open for more peep shows. I think that's I th what they said. They're, they're going to leave it open, aren't they? Because they like the idea of reversing the characters in years to come. Yeah, there's that story about it, Rudyard Kipling goes to visit Mark Twain and he asks him, are you going to do any more Huckleberry Finn stories? And Mark Twain jokes around and goes, oh, yeah, you know, I might have them all grown up and they're criminals and they're robbing banks and then they end up getting arrested and hung. And Rudyard Kipling's face just drops. He's like, how dare you? You can't do that to those characters. And Mark Twain goes, I'm paraphrasing the whole thing, by the way. This is not word for word. But Mark Twain goes, oh, yeah, I can do what I want. They're my characters. And Rudyard Kipling goes, no, they belong to the world. So I think you can't, it's the same applies, you know, comparing Huckleberry Finn to Peep Show. You can't just kill off these characters because people, as I say, follow them like it's a soap, like it's the, the family next door. You can't do anything too final. Although this is something that we've looked into previously in shows like 
Legacy I'm, I'm aware, yes. And Doctor at the top, and I think probably the life of Rogers was the real sort of kick in the teeth. Because the thing is that you want to see Mark and Jez as they are, mm. as you remember them. You really don't want to see them aged 60 complaining about you know, their arthritis and how Jez hasn't really made proper provision for his pension and so I, on. I think you could do that as long as it's not too unhappy. You have to remember people love these characters. Mm -hmm. So if you have them old and dying and one's lost a leg and whatever, it's not much fun. But you could have them older, a bit like the old guys, where they're still having the same scrapes as ever. And it's not a bad thing. Sort of whatever happened to the likely lads. No, I mean, with something like Still Game, for example, you can have themes like that because that's how you've always known them. But if Still mm. Game had been a raucous, broad comedy in the 1970s, then it really wouldn't go down very well if, if that's how they came back. So, yeah, no, I know what you mean. If they come back and they're like the old guys and they're still being daft and faffing about and whatever, it really it comes down to the tone. And, and then you sort of hope, I mean, I know this is what a lot of people are saying about the Muppets just now, is mm. they wanted to see the Muppets come back. They don't want to see the Muppets doing The Office. They just want to see the Muppet yeah. show and they'll be cheerful and happy. That's a whole other debate about what the Muppets are up to these days. Yeah, it has come back for a second series, is not it? Or a second uh, I don't know. They've, they've expanded it to it for another five or six episodes. They're kind of desperate. They sack their um, showrunner. I don't know quite how far in advance of airing they're being shot. Because, hmm. know, you know, in America, they're recording episodes as the first episodes of the series are airing. Mm -hmm. So they can alter it as they go based on public response and i think that's what's happening with the muppets although i can't think it's too close since it's quite a complicated show so it's hard to say i i don't know it's hit and miss the muppets actually this muppet series is very much like the new series of peep show it's very very funny but it, the characters are slightly off mm -hmm. it feels like it's written by someone who watched the show originally all those years ago and, and thought, it, I, I could do something with these it, it seems to be that the most faithful rendition of the Muppets these days is in that adverse for Warburton's. <laughs> I did say that. Yeah, that's the best episode of the Muppets so far. Yeah. I'm serious. The Muppets always had a British sense of humour. That's where it was born in Britain. Yeah. Shot in Britain, made by British directors and uh, well, Chris Lamb and uh, Louise Gold and a few other Brits on the uh, all British crew, mm -hmm. pretty much. Often doing music hall numbers. So it's kind of fun to see them, you know, in a bread factory saying mad for it and talking about coronation street i think that fits perfectly yes it's the it, opposite it when they're in america on a, on a late night talk show talking to josh groban and Kristen chenoworth at the jars <laughs> at the muppets work in a bread factory it's a great idea for a sitcom <laughs> well thank you very much indeed Squiddy, for joining us it's obviously oh, here um i notice over the way i think somebody has just opened Yes, they have just opened a packet of Mr. Kipling's Festive Bake Wells. They're proper ones. They're not, no rubbish. They're not supermarket own brand. So do help yourself to those. Oh, thank you very much. Gladly. Now, who could this be at the door? Why, it's Birdie. Hi, Merry Christmas. I just thought I'd drop by to wish you all a lovely Kiwi Christmas. So I brought some I brought some presents for, for you and for Ocho as well. Um, I've got a little stuffed Kiwi for you. Um, not the bird kind, the, the fruit kind, because um, I know how much you like fruit in Scotland. And um, I've also got, for, for Tilt, I've got um, a lovely uh, candy uh, all black. Um, and he can start eating it from the bottom upwards so that um, he doesn't run away. You know that I don't actually know what fruit is, don't you? <laughs> so I'll try it, but you won't get offended if I put it in the deep fat fat, will you? <laughs> 
No, no, you go, you go ahead, but uh, don't take the skin off. All right, okay. So, yes, well, welcome. Welcome to our little soiree. And as you know, we're here talking about Peep Show. And the first thing I've got to ask yourself is... Well, we'll play a little sort of game of quick word association here, okay? So, one word only answers at this stage. Mark. Uptight. Cheers. Loser. Super hands. Twat. <laughs> Sophie. Psychotic. Now, that is interesting. Okay, let me ask you about Sophie then. So, what is it about Sophie? Initially, I was going to ask you, what is it about Sophie which lends herself to tolerate Mark? I suppose, in the way that she does, but also have feelings towards Jeff. I think she she's in that space of where a guy's been interested in with her and she's kind of flattered, but then he kind of goes off with a bit from her as well and she gets a bit mental about it. And she likes Jeff because Jeff is a bit of a Jack the Lad kind of guy. Maybe she thinks that Mark's the kind of person she should be interested in because he's clever. What does any woman see in Jeff? Because Jeff, to me, just looks like a complete bastard. <laughs> Well, that's the point. That's the thing they like. He's the Jack the Lad, isn't he? He's the Jack the Lad. He's a good-looking guy. He's going places. He's, he presents one image to women, but then he's a bit of a lad behind their back. You know, he's not very very nice behind their backs, but the face that he presents to them is that confidence, I can have any lady I want kind of thing. And, and some women find that appealing. So is that a confidence thing, really, whereas Mark has all the nice traits that Jeff lacks, but Mark is so, as you said, your word, uptight, and he's not particularly spontaneous or particularly wild, even. Did you say Mark had some nice traits? <laughs> well, I thought that he might have had a few that would be attractive, oh. perhaps not. I thought you said nitrate, as in animal nitrate. No, you want I super hands for that. <laughs> He's. Um, I think the trouble with Mark is, is that in a way he's like Jeff in that he presents one image and then he's really got an, another one. Mark is uptight, but he's he's not very kind. He's genuinely quite self-serving. You know the things that he does. I don't. I don't know that he does them for good reasons. I think it's superficial kindness to him, but he's actually quite. Uh, I don't think he's very nice. He's not very warm, is he? No, he isn't. I mean, I was going to ask you about one thing that Mark did because I know that we're in the sitcom universe here, so the normal rules of society don't necessarily apply and everything is a bit overextended and blown up and so on. But the one thing I thought would be pretty much impossible for Sophie to forgive was when she caught Mark hacking into her emails. Mm, now, absolutely. surely that would be the end of the matter then as far as any potential. Yeah, oh, yes, definitely. Oh, God, yes, definitely. You just reminded me of that, that episode. That's just hideous, isn't it? No, absolutely. You'd, you'd run a mile in real life, wouldn't you? I mean, you wouldn't go near someone like that. that I suppose that's the thing, though. You know, um, if you had Mark and Jeff and they were both kind of jealous people, Mark would go through your emails. He would go through your, your bins. He would be looking at your phone. Um, Jeff probably have a row with you. Do you know he'd take you out? So I think it's a bit more, I think Jeff's a bit more manly than Mark. Mark is just a bit, he's kind of wimpy. I imagine Jeff would punch you. Not saying that's a good thing, but he'd probably punch a wall. Mark just strikes me as a bit spiteful. He's the sort of person who might spread a rumour about you kind of thing when things went wrong. But then I think Sophie's much more like Mark than she's like Jeff as well. Now, I asked you about Sophie and you said psychotic. Yeah. Now, that's not the word I was really expecting. I was expecting perhaps say that she was unable to make up her mind and perhaps a little bit scatty. And of course, later on then, she starts 
getting into sort of rave culture and what have you which is unlike her in the first couple of series but psychotic i wouldn't necessarily i said mary for example who made one appear and she's psychotic but i wouldn't put sophie in the same category as her well it was word association wasn't it so it's the first thing that came to my head i could have said sociopath uh but you hit the nail on the head that's why i asked you uh, before i came to the party when i was talking before i came to the party um i said was the, was peep show written by different writers because her character her character changes i think quite dramatically from the maybe the first couple of series maybe and I know that's partly because of what she what she's going through but she does seem to go under quite a transformation which I've attributed either to different writers or possible mental illness she's not right in the head well that that is a new take on Sophie and I'll be honest I've not previously heard that but no though that's been noted and yes we'll put that into the pot for for (laughs) discussion okay so because I would have said I mean okay let's say sociopath rather than psychotic but I would have probably applied that more to Tony than Sophie do you fancy Sophie is that what it is do you fancy her Gary do you fancy Sophie original Sophie as in first couple of series, maybe I'm not so keen on later Sophie when she starts, you know, going clubbing and what have you. Yeah, I mean that that line of marks. How did I get here, and will I ever be allowed to leave? That's exactly what I'm thinking when he's stuck in that <laughs> club and what have you. So no, I wouldn't want to go there at all. But no, early Sophie. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a sort of fondness there. Now, now Tony, the, she's the next door neighbour that Jez um, hangs around with. Right? Is that yeah. the one? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's proper mental. Yes, definitely. Yes, she and is. She but use, she... And because she uses him, doesn't she? You know, that's she doesn't have a very healthy relationship with the um, uh, her partner, does she? Ex-partner, partner, guy that's still living with her partner. Tony is somebody who I think Jez thinks that he could handle Tony but couldn't. Mark at least knows that he wouldn't have a hope. That's, that's right. Yeah, he's, um, he knows his limitations, doesn't he? So, because I, I actually do find it a little bit funny, the fact that Mark seems to have... Again, I'm accepting the rules of the sitcom universe, so he's got to do things. He's got to be an interesting character. But yeah. I actually think that Mark has slightly more success with the ladies than he'd be expected to in real life, if that makes any sense. Probably, yeah. Probably does, actually. But it's also um, maybe the uh, demographic as well. I mean, the, the women that he's gets into contact with, it. apart from that, um, oh, there was that young girl, wasn't that? The university, that girl. Um, yes, April. Yes, Sophie was the demographic. I think she was a bit uh, getting to the uh, getting a bit desperate kind of age. <laughs> That's not very kind, is it? Well, but, she, um, she, she no, does, you're right. He, yeah, she does actually sort of say. I mean, she doesn't say it necessarily as overtly as this, but she wants a baby, and she's Definitely. sort of not entirely too fussy about how that happens to, to come about. Yeah, you're right. Mike probably does have a bit more success than he would in real life, except that he does have some some features that would be attractive in real life. Mainly, he's got a job. Well, most of the time. Uh, he's got his own home, those sorts of things. I mean, that does make him a reasonable prospect. He is quite dull, though. And he doesn't have any patter, does he? He doesn't have any banter, does he? Actually, it's hard for him to pick up women. He maybe would be okay get some success. Women might settle for him. But um, he's not He's not kind of going to go pick up women, is he? That's more Jeff. Are you suggesting that someone who reads about, say, Andrew Marr's views on the trade union reforms of the 1970s and then to relax later and watch his Battleship Potemkin, are you saying that that's not necessarily an attractive trait? No, no, I've got to be careful because I know there are also people that write books on... <laughs> TV election special coverage and um, has collections of um, continuity announcements on VCR. So obviously I, I'd be very careful about saying that someone with a, a narrow and esoteric range of interests is um, unattractive. However, yeah, no, it does. It does make him unattractive. Sorry. 
I don't mind being described as esoteric. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, full of words today, aren't I? It must be what you put in the punch. Esoteric, psychotic. Whew, it's good. I think yes. I think perhaps we've livened up the punch a little bit too much because you know we want to get <laughs> I don't the, drink. <laughs> we want to get the party swinging. So okay, Mark is sort of safe but dull. Jeff is exciting but a bad lad. What is Jez? Because Jez does seem to be. <laughs> I mean, I've previously said on the show about trying to find the worst sitcom character of all time in terms of, not worst as in poorly developed, I mean, worst as in who's an utter bastard. And we've never ever... It it depends. Yeah, you can argue that, but also we've never quite topped Jack and on the buses because he appears to have absolutely no redeeming features whatsoever. However, Jez is really giving him a run for his money, isn't he? Well, if you've done word association with Jez, I think... It, oh, you did. I said loser. But actually, when I think about it, I, th- I think it's um, it's more that he's spoilt. He's spoilt and he's... What's the word? Sociopathic. He seems to lack empathy. I mean, he does some, sometimes he'd be really quite... Um, kind and supportive but most of the time he's pretty selfish isn't he he doesn't have any awareness of how his actions might affect people is it the christmas special where his parents are there is it his parents or is it mark's parents it's mark's parents but there is an episode where jesse's mother played by tessa wyatt turns up and that's where we get to see how nasty jez is too that's right yeah he just comes across as someone who's never really had to have much responsibility for himself which is why i think he's he's a bit spoiled i think yeah, he's not very nice, is he? But then so many of the greatest sitcom characters aren't very nice. Well, that's the thing. It's the same thing with Jeff, isn't it? It's about, what well, do you want someone that's kind? And why do we like go for bastards? It's because they want a bit of excitement. And on sitcoms, if everybody was inconsistently nice, it would drive you round the bend, wouldn't it? You need to have someone to create a bit of tension. And it's about that loving to hate people, isn't it, all the time? Yes. So, yeah. There's nobody really... Um, I mean, even what's, um, oh God, what's her name? We haven't talked about her. Dobby. Yes. Dobby. You know, the way she uh, runs off at the end, uh, is it on the beach or something? It's, she's it's, gonna get, it's she just the, disappears. Yeah, it's, it's, in the, it's in the nice field in the country and what have you. Yeah, I mean, she just disappears, doesn't she? That's not, that's not a very kind way to deal with people, is it? It's not. She, play, no. she plays people against each other. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's an odd one. Oh, we'll come to Jared in a second, yeah. But... No, it's an odd one because at first you sort of think, yeah, Mark's actually found somebody. Mark's found somebody who appreciates his sense of humour and in a way actually appreciates some of his less attractive traits. But I don't know if that's going to work out in the long term for them. I'm not entirely Absolutely. sure they're they're well suited. She's what um, Tilt will call Pixie Girl, isn't she? She's the, the Pixie Girl character, really, isn't she? Yes, yes, you could say that. I did. <laughs> now, when it comes to now, poor Gerard. I mean, I've got to admit that there's not too many times where I mean, I, I see tweets from people every Saturday night, and it's basically people saying, "Oh, Doctor Who had me like that. Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. Oh, poor me. Oh, dear me. This is Moffat's greatest work ever." And I'm not into Doctor Who, so I don't know about that kind of thing. But I have to admit, poor Gerard. I mean, I didn't particularly like Gerard, but I didn't want him to. Can't Die. Get? He deserved to die. <laughs> what did Gerard do that makes him worthy of death? Because he was lame. Maybe the writers just thought there's nowhere to go with this character. I'm glad he's dead. He was just so lame, wasn't he, with his with his illnesses and his breathing. <laughs> Sitcom characters aren't really meant to die. Well, that's the thing. I mean, oh, no. right. you, can ha- you can have somebody die right at the beginning of a show. I mean, it's not a sitcom, but obviously like EastEnders, for example, that's how it starts. Or you can have somebody 
drop dead at the end of a show, perhaps, but not during, not in the middle, or, or like in the opening episodes of a series. No, no, that's, no, that's breaking tradition, isn't it? I was mm. actually, I was trying to think of a scene in characters um, die. Maybe in, maybe in soap, somebody died. You've got your doorman in Phoenix Knights second episode, although he wasn't a central character. Oh, so, I didn't watch yeah. that. I, I couldn't get past the first episode. Sorry. Oh, really? No, I didn't like it. I'm going to ask you about Johnson oh, because Johnson. Okay, so Johnson is. Well, you, you you agree or disagree with me on this? Johnson is everything that Mark wants to yep. be. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I saw. Um, I was watching um, Green Wing, and the actor who plays Johnson was in that as um, an IT guy. Yeah, Patterson Joseph. And what's his name? Patterson Joseph. Patterson Joseph. Yeah. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Patterson. Yeah. His first name's Patterson. Mm-hmm. How ridiculous. Again, he was playing the kind of guy that everybody wants kind of thing and not really not really interested in it. And um, I just wonder if guys get typecast very, very quickly. But, um, you know, Mark, he does want to be Johnson, but I think he's got that underlying thing about he's always worried about whether he might be being a bit racist as well deep down. I don't know whether he thinks that having a black guy as a sort of mate is cool, whether he's a bit scared of it as well. But then Johnson's not very nice either, is he? Well, no, he no, no, he's certainly he not. Gay? I don't is think he, he is. No, I've, I actually think perhaps Johnson is asexual. Ah. Uh, no, he does. He, he does get together with Big Sue's for a while. Yes, Big Sue's. Yeah, he does. Out, doesn't work out too well. No, but Big Sue's is the kind of woman that he probably thinks he should be with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he if he doesn't like women, that's the kind of woman he should be with. That's what I think. So okay, this is a bit of a sore point for me. Okay, so I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's nothing filthy. No, but I'm going to right. I'm going to whisper. I'm going to whisper this because I don't want the people in the party to hear okay. this. Right, so I'm going to whisper this. Right. Okay. okay. Now I sort of identify with a little bit of Mark's character, particularly his relationship with Johnson, because Johnson, of course, <laughs> he turns up with his BMW and what have you, and he's got Mark doing the gears for him. And I think that perhaps some of Mark's lack of confidence comes from the fact that he doesn't drive. Now I don't drive either. And I've got to be honest, that has always sort of been a bit of a sort of thing in the back of my mind. You know, if I'm all sort of spruced up, trying to impress the ladies in, you know, a nice convivial atmosphere like this one here, then it's always a sort of at the back of my mind, I'd like to be able to say at the end of the evening, you know, can I give you a lift home, for example? Or, you know, do you like to go out, you know, this, that, or whatever? And it doesn't matter what car it is. It's just the fact that I haven't got the the means. I haven't got the, the carriage to take the lady to wherever we're going. I don't know. Am I, am I worrying about that too much? Does Mark worry about that too much? So, are you saying you have never learned to drive? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I am saying that, yes. Okay. And you think that may affect a man's confidence? I think it does. Okay. So let's just think a moment about people that we know who can't, who don't drive. Oh, I know. Ricky Gervais. Can you imagine what he'd be like if he could drive? Uh, dangerous. There is a man who does not lack confidence. Does he I, make uh, up Does he make up for it, though? Does he have too much oh confidence? <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes him attractive to a certain kind of woman. Yeah, look, it's a reflection on Mark's manliness, definitely. The fact that in in America it's like uh, you know can you use a stick shift, isn't it? You know if you can use a car with gears, that means you make you're extra manly. I think these days though it's more of an interesting story, you know, because you might not need to drive. You know, in England you probably or Scotland you, you can just get around, can't you? If you don't drive in New Zealand, you're screwed. You really well, are. That, that's that's um, the fib that I've always sort of hidden behind is that 
I don't drive because we've got the subway here, for example, in the city, so I've never needed to, or I care about the environment, so yeah. or I could just make up some sort of reason. I could, I could make yeah. up some supposed illness with a long word that means that I just can't get behind the wheel for whatever reason. Yeah. But none of I it's could, true. I could either drink and drive, or I could decide to stay safe. I've decided not to drive and just to keep getting drunk. That's, no, that's, another. that's a really annoying thing because I don't drink. So I'd be really good as a driver and I'd probably end up as the designated driver in all manner of different situations and what have you, which is not brilliant. Not You don't right. necessarily want to be typecast in that role every time you're out. But nonetheless, no, I'd be brilliant. I'd be really reliable as well. Don't so you? you don't drink, you don't smoke, uh-huh. you don't drive. I just get my pigeonhole out and I put you into this slightly weird category. I think that does knock Mark's confidence down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that obviously causes problems then when it comes to, say, taking Sophie to the maternity hospital. Mm, my husband couldn't drive. Oh, really? Uh, not for a long night. No, when I, when I was, uh, had our first baby, our friend said to take us to the hospital in the back, and um, he did learn to drive eventually. But um, he had, he's got a, a thing with his eye. Uh, he got an accident when he was oh, about seven. He got a cracked lens, and he has trouble with depth perception. Right. So he's always worried about learning to drive, but in the end, he figured he was going to actually have to learn to drive, and now he drives all the time. Early in the days, we used to park in a car park with, with pillars, and um, he was always a little bit dubious about doing that. And uh, to be honest, we had um, backed the car into a pillar on more than one occasion. So sometimes we'd swap over, so he drives in the morning and I would take over just to park the car. But he used to stand out and it was almost like he was trying to make it look like he was helping me park the car because he didn't want people to think that he couldn't park the car. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, back, just back in a bit. He's all right now. He, I'm the one that can't park now. I've, I've, I've trashed the car lots of times. But uh, I think there is definitely a manliness thing, isn't there? You should be able to. Um, one of my friends, he's... um. He doesn't work. Um, but he also quite excites me that he knows how to drive a truck as well and he can ride a horse. I guess quite, uh, oh. quite manly. Like, yeah, I know. Like, and he can put up a fence. He'd do all those manly kind of things. But if he were, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be ever racing involved with him because he's, those traits come with, with other things, you know. So it went back to Jeff, actually. Jeff's okay. Bit of a lad and he's um, fun and he's quite impressive. But would you want to marry him? Probably not. Mark's probably a better bet for marriage. If you could write your perfect ending to Peep Show, you can do whatever you want with the characters and you don't have to worry about offending anybody else. You don't have to worry about it's got to be a happy ending or something that's going to keep the fans or the audience happy or anything like that. You can just do exactly what you want with them. I'm going to give you the character names and I'd like you to tell me where you'd like to put them at the end of the series in a sort of, not necessarily happily ever after manner, but just this is going to be their status quo from now on. So let's say, okay, let's see Mark first of all. What are we going to do with Mark in the long term? Oh my God, I don't know. He's so mediocre. He's going to end up in a nice little semi down south somewhere. And he's married and he's got his own little business. It's quite a small business, but it's quite successful. But the reason he's got on as well as he has is he got lucky when he got married to someone who came into an inheritance. There you go. So he's mediocre, middle class, but comfortable, dull. Do you think that the middle-aged Mark is basically Martin Price? Will he be oh that person? Do you think that he'll be that person who's on yes. every committee and wanting to run everything and be really anal yes. about everything? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, no, absolutely. And you see him with his kids. I can see him with his little uh, cricket jumper on and he's got his little son and he's like that 
<laughs> he's a bit like that character at the first show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he's Martin Bryce. Okay, yep, good. Okay, so Jeremy then. <laughs> Jeremy, okay. Um, Jeremy, what would he do? What does he deserve? He deserves to lie to a lonely death in a crack den. But having failed that, I think, okay, yep, he's running a beachside restaurant come bar in somewhere like Bali. I think that Jez could end up being perhaps like a sort of PR guy for some completely bullshit company where, you know, it's all about sort of buzzwords and making a good impression on clients and, and what have you. I think that he could actually sort yeah. of pull that off, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you're probably right. I just want him to, to be, be happy, but he's so shallow. Will he really ever be happy in that kind of job? Maybe he'll change as he gets older. He needs to find the kind of job where he doesn't need to grow up, doesn't he? Yeah, he needs to find the kind of job where he doesn't actually have to get out of bed in the morning or do any work. Yeah, but you, not everyone can work for Leith County Council. <laughs> City Council. Uh, Jez is the one who needs to marry into an inheritance, really, isn't he? He's, he does, does he? Yeah. He should, you know, that part where, the, the episode where he was somebody's toy boy, a guy's toy boy, you mm, know, where the yeah. little, that's what he needs to be, a to- somebody's toy boy. But you can't be a toy boy forever. Okay, so Sophie. She finds a nice man that she meets through an internet dating site who's already got a couple of kids. She receives somebody's second wife. She ends up in a, in a life of middle-class respectability as well. That's it. I'm making, basically, I'm making them all middle-class and happy. She'll end up with somebody older than her. She's some second wife material, I think. It's not going to work out with her and Jeff ever, so. Well, that's who was coming to finally. What, what, can, what can we do with Jeff long-term? Because I'm sort of picturing Jeff as Hugh Grant at the end of Bridget Jones' diary. You know, he's sat in the bar and he's, he's telling the interviewer about how happy he is and he's always got a yeah. different woman in his arm every single night. Yeah. That's where I see Jeff. I see him sort of propping up a bar somewhere. I see him behind the bar. He'll end up with his own business, like a bar, something like that, where there's a lot of people coming through. Bit of gold jewellery on, bit of bants. And maybe he, maybe he won't settle down, but I think he'll always have a bird on the go. He'll always have a bird because he's got the bants. Bird and Bance, he'll be fine until he hits about 60 and then it'll just all crumble underneath him. But no, I think he'll do all right. Don't be so mean. Don't stick him in a all lonely mission, but he'll be all right. Yeah, it is, all right. It, is, it is Christmas after it's all. Accent. It's got the accent. He'll be all right. Yeah, he'll, nice. he'll be. Yeah, he's, he's got the uh, the scouse. Now, Super Wait, Hands, yeah. he would die in a crack den or some kind. He's got to go. And uh, Johnson. He is one of those guys who would just go through life, just get he'll, he'll, he'll get back on his feet again. I know. He's, oh, I think that when we saw him last, he was going through a bit of a mental breakdown, wasn't he? But he would eventually um, get back on his feet, and um, he would charm his way through the upper echelons of society. He'll be back on top. I can see Johnson eventually being named some sort of government business czar. <gasps> You're right. It, oh, yeah. Do they still have stars? Well, they don't really know. That was more of a sort of Blair oh, thing. But yeah. no, that, that's that. He'll, he'll be appointed to some sort of commission or committee or something like that. Oh, like Karen right. Brady. Yeah, that, that's yep. what he'll do long term. Maybe take yep, up a position right. in the House of Lords. Yeah, back to Mark. I, actually, that's where I could see Mark as well. Local politics. I can see him getting on the council. I can see him doing that kind of thing. I can see him being an MP later on. Yes, I think you're right. And I could very well see Jess being one of his constituents. And as in, as in one who comes to see him every single Friday in his surgery. I think Mark will go off the rails and suddenly turn up with like an earring. And I think that's really makes that's the epitome of being uh, cool and uh, trendy. He, he, he could. He could have a breakdown. He'll have it badly done, though. It will not go well. <laughs> he'll go septic. <laughs> yeah, he, he won't go to a, a licensed 
parlor you'll end up getting it you'll get it done by a recommendation of super hands and uh yeah you'll end up losing his ear or something like that well buddy thank you very much indeed for offering us your thoughts on peep show and do feel free to to mingle perhaps avoid the punch bowl like we already established and in the meantime have yourself a very merry christmas Merry Christmas to you as well. Merry Christmas to everyone in sitcom land and Jaffa Cakes for Proust land. And um, have a happy Hogmanay as well. This party is swinging. I did not know it was possible to get this many people into the flat. I'm actually getting a bit concerned about the oxygen levels now. Right, let me just push. Oh, ah, ha, ha. Hey, it's yourself. Yes. Hello. Better late than never. Here you are. Everyone's here. Yes, there's a lot of people. There are a lot of people. I will all here united in our appreciation and may I even say love of Peep Show. You've even made this place look like the flat from the aforementioned television series. If you do a U-turn, you will actually find that you are standing oh, right in God. front of Puke Point 3 right now. That hasn't been used. It's all right. Don't worry. So I thought what we'd do is get your drink, first of all, and then I've got all the DVDs queued up. So we've got the whole box set and we'll play them all through first of all and then we'll play them all back again with the writers and directors commentary. So we'll make a, a good old all nicer of it. What do you reckon? So anyway, I know you've been having a bit of a Netflix binge yourself. So tell us then. I mean, on a scale of one to ten, what would you say? Eight, nine, ten, eleven? I didn't like Peep Show. <gasps> what the fuck? I didn't like Peep Show. Sorry, guys. I mean, oh, I better go. I have to go over now. It's another I'm outside the world, and I'm I've got to find a cab. Very hard to get a cab on a Saturday night. I think I've got to go now. You've just cleared the entire flight. You know that. Yes, they all went before I could do Hollywood Party. You think that the time to tell me this is now in the middle of our Peep Show Appreciation Christmas party? This was not my idea. I was not consulted about this. I was personally pushing for Series 2 of Map and Lucia. Let's, let's just rewind and pretend that the last two minutes didn't happen. And I'll give you a chance, fairly, to explain yourself. So why exactly did you watch virtually all of Peep Show and then come to this conclusion? Because I was asked to? Why am I on the sitcom club? Because I was asked to. I did give up part way through series six, I'll confess that. I did have a plan to keep going to the end, but I thought things are not going to change enough. And there's 90s Zorro to be watched. Okay, so let's take this from the top. So I know not everybody is as crazy about it as perhaps I am, or the people who buy the DVDs and what have you, but. I do feel that this show has something to say to, you know, young dandies such as ourselves in the 21st century. The message I got was, you are not human, Tilteraisa. This is what human beings are like, and you don't recognise it, do you? Yeah, but all sitcoms have enlarged versions of people's personalities. You know, they're all blown up. I mean, they're all hyper-extended. You know, they're not real people. I mean, they've got real people's angst and feelings and so on, but, you know, it's all exaggerated. I didn't really recognise their angst. I didn't really recognise what's going on inside their heads. The constant stream of need. 
I mean, I occasionally require validation. Occasionally, I want things to go well, and occasionally they don't go well. But that's not what's going on in my head. What is going on in your head? Hang on. It's a full band arrangement of the Sunflower Slow Drag by Scott Joplin and Scott Hayden. It's a ragtime two-step from 1901. Good choice. Is it MP3, 320k, or is it FLAC? Inside my head, it's an OG. Og Vorbis, is it? That's the one. Oh, well. Each the one. So it felt like some bizarre twisted parody of what it's like to be an adult in the early 21st century. And the bits that I'm supposed to recognise felt very alienating. Well, I'd say that I think it's a really good piece as far as the 21st century is concerned because, let's be honest, I mean, a lot of people of Mark and Jeremy's age find it difficult to sort of find a niche for themselves in 2003, 2015, whenever you want. We don't have, you know, a job for life anymore. We don't necessarily have such stable relationships as we once did when people were expected to settle down and, you know, marry and so on at a fairly early age and perhaps live in the same town all their lives. We don't have any great defining conflict which is bringing perhaps you know the whole nation or whatever together so there's there's no sort of overarching sort of reason for being in 2015 so people are scratching their heads and just trying to think where do i fit in you know what shape am i to fit into the little hole and what have you and well yeah i think it gets it pretty well okay good (laughs) but you 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 have different views there were weird amounts of wish fulfillment I mean, there's partially the recognisably the comedy person for whom things do not go right. They have issues, mental, emotional issues. Maybe they're serious, maybe they're silly. But then, but then things came along to sort of break that impression and it suddenly felt like I was watching a fantasy version of a person. Mark has more sex than James Bond. And that felt like it broke his character type. Not that he should be a lonely virgin. But was it the first episode where he goes out on the date with a 17-year-old? It wasn't the first episode, but it was in the first series. It was early enough to feel wrong. Not that it was a plot line they shouldn't have done, but it just came so early on that it's like, you know, if your life was that interesting, why are you so messed up? Because I know you can argue that it's realistic and it's three-dimensional, but sometimes... Putting contradictory elements in a character makes them realistic, and sometimes it just makes them contradictory. And for me, Mark just came across as a series of contradictions with occasionally really strong character beats. His interest in the Second World War, and there's one bit where he is, I think, he's cheerful and he's whistling the German national anthem to himself. And I'm sure that Mark probably knows not to start singing it from the first verse if you're going to do the word you start singing it from the third verse the one that goes Einigkeit und Recht und Freiheit für das deutsche Vaterland do the famous lines and you can get arrested in Germany <laughs> but I thought that was a strong character beat that tune is in his head a lot well yes I mean I think you're onto something there when you unwittingly perhaps you're sort of answering your own question oh oh i make points unwittingly do i no 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 nothing like that but you're saying about how you felt that mark was a bundle of contradictions and and presumably you're saying that you think that it's unlikely that he would end up in 
bed with this 18-year-old goth, for no, example. No, it's fine for him to do that, but he seems to have a heck of a lot of success. And after a while, it's like, you should really change the character to line up with his relationships. Well, what I would say is that Mark is a very smart, well-read, and most importantly of all, he's a very witty and charming guy when he can get over his own neuroses. So when he's in the company of ladies and he is relaxed, then I think actually he'd probably be quite a good date. I think he'd be very good company. It's just the fact that he's got this constant nervous energy and angst, which you know sometimes we, we sort of hear little bits and pieces about how this is supposedly has come about. Oh, it's not the fact that somebody who sleeps with a lot of women would have no neuroses, but I think his neuroses would be different. Henry Newhouse was fairly neurotic in Casanova 73. I can't argue with that. It meant that I got that sense of wish fulfillment, and that brings us to Dobby. Now, this is interesting because you're not the first person to actually say this about Dobby. Some people have suggested that Dobby is there almost to give the fans what they want. Some people have suggested that on the internet. Ah, okay. Again, just the first meeting ends with the rubbing in the stationery cupboard. It's like, that felt like fan fiction. <laughs> and I think I read the TV Tropes page for Peep Show. And they did say that Dobby is not a true manic pixie dream girl because she does eventually develop her own wants and needs and things aside from Mark and Jez. But that first appearance, that was very manic pixie dream girl. Even down to Mark's, she's weirdly attractive. She is not weirdly attractive. She's conventionally attractive in a very moderately non-mainstream mould, but she hath no strangeness in the proportion, to quote Francis Bacon. I don't really want to be the one to have to point this out, but I feel that as I'm the only person here, the duty actually sort of falls to myself because I know that everybody who's listening to this right now is thinking this. You've actually just said something there which is more Mark-like than Mark. All Mark said was, She's weirdly attractive. He didn't start citing Francis Bacon. I remain unmoved. Jez's amorality did not fascinate me. You didn't find it interesting that he seemingly has no depths to which he will not stoop? No, it didn't. I just didn't engage with this. And I started to wonder, is this show lacking in heart? Or am I lacking in heart? Am I the Tin Man? Well, if you think that the show itself is lacking in heart, does that mean that you've got a lot of heart? and that you don't like the harshness of it. No, I might just have a lot of brain that's able to identify heart. It's a bit like maybe infrared imaging is not necessarily quite the same as seeing. Uh, But not everything has to be seen for the prism of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, but a lot of things can be. Now you're starting to sound like my film and TV tutor. She had some weird ideas about that. You don't like The Wizard of Oz? I don't mind The Wizard of Oz, but oh, that's okay. I don't think, for example, that it's got an overt lesbian subtext running all the way through it. No. That theory was put to me, and I chose to decline it. No, I think the fascinating thing about The Wizard of Oz is about the three incomplete people. No, let's not worry about The Wizard of Oz, because that's film. We can get onto that in all time. But getting back to Peep Show. Okay, so... How can you have a conversation about something stupid without mentioning Carson Parks? Well, very easily, apparently. All right, okay, because I'm, I'm worried that perhaps... I met his brother. I'm worried that perhaps you're looking at Peep Show as if it's some sort of guide to so what are the to big 21st. changes to WWE, then? Look, 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 calm yourself. Calm yourself. Have some you celery. You bought any new shoes recently? No, no, stop. Now, 
I think that perhaps you we'll actually. I, I, I did. I did actually get some new shoes recently, by the way. And I'm a bit worried because nice. What kind? They're just cheap ones that have shoes on. But I'm a bit worried because I've always taken size twelve. I now I'm on size thirteen, and I'm concerned that perhaps my feet are still growing. I've gone from all stars to Vans. Oh. It's very nice sort of modern art. Right, pattern. come on, come on. Peep show. Right, come on. Now, listen, I'm a bit concerned that you are perhaps looking at Peep show as some sort of guide to 21st century living. It's not a manual. It's not like a user guide or anything like that. This is not how you're supposed to live your life. And you're not even necessarily supposed to even particularly empathize with Mark and Jeremy. It's just that you understand what they're going through. And as the original billing all the way back in 2003 said just before the voiceover says kenko rapport sponsors the peep show the original billing says that mark and jeremy are two very ordinary weirdos they are by definition a bundle of contradictions they've got confidence in some areas and they have a severe lack of confidence in others and you know they're, they're just mixed up Cookie, crazy kind this of guy. like you're trying to persuade me to like a couple of friends of yours that I've met and didn't like. Well, I'm disappointed that you've dropped this bombshell here tonight. And I'm sure that you'd rather that we'd chosen a Stu Francis era Cracker Jack for this discussion. But, you know, we are the sitcom club. I mean, I can go through my notes. Um, not enough difference between inside and outside. I think that means that their internal neuroses and their external behaviour were no. What you mean is you want similar. it to be the mask and the face was pretty much the same. You, what you want is it to be VT indoors and film outdoors. That's what you mean. <laughs> no, wouldn't that not be interesting? That would Reversed. be good. Yes, film indoors, VT outdoors. <laughs> VT downstairs, film upstairs. I'm not sure what they do. You're going to take stairs. that to London Weekend Television. I don't know what they're going to do with the staircase. Gene Marsh missed a trick there. <laughs> Is there an American version of Upstairs Downstairs with Dom de Louise? So, uh, Series 4, Episode 2. Remind me. Uh, he's meant to give a presentation and ah, he jumps out yes, the window yes, and yes, runs yes, off. Yes. Now, more than Martin Clunes, maybe there is your 21st century Reggie Perrin. I thought that was a Perrin-esque moment, but I would have liked to have had him just keep on going. What's the name of the American girl that Jazz marries? Nancy. Yeah. And she says at one point she was managing the IMAX in Bradford. Is there an IMAX in Bradford? Yes, of course there's an IMAX in Bradford. It was the first IMAX in Britain. Well, I'm glad to hear it. because For a long been... time, it was the only IMAX in Britain. That would have been quite a major It's not oversight. necessarily the biggest, but I tell you, it's possibly still the best because it's quite near Pictureville. I know they've changed the name, but I mean, you're only moments away from three strip Cinerama on the deep curve screen. There never has been a better time to visit Bradford. We now, of course, have the new shopping centre. Right, right, stop. I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not letting you off the hook. We're talking about Peep Show. Curry houses. We're talking about Peep Show. This is not Telly Savalas. Please invest in Bradford. This is not Telly Savalas visits Bradford or even Pete Murray. Now, there must have been some aspects of Peep Show that you liked. I liked the line, this is how Frost felt before the first that was the week that was, or through the keyhole. That was a great line. I'm sure you could fill a book with quotable lines. It is a very quotable show, yes. There are a lot oh, of Oh, here's a quotable quotes. line. This isn't me. These aren't my people. Now, that's your line, isn't it? Why do you feel that you have to be associated with them in that manner? Can you not just appreciate them as sitcom characters? You don't look at other sitcoms well, no, they're and the say, kind of Yeah, but they're the kind of people I don't want to watch. But that goes for so many sitcom characters. I'm fascinated by Steptoe and Son, even though... Albert Steptoe is pure evil. I'm still fascinated by his 
lack of morality, his selfishness, his self-destructiveness. Well, you know what? I think now is the time for you to start talking in a Northern Irish accent. Dr. Gary Clare in the psychiatrist's chair. <laughs> Clare and friends. It's horrible being in love when you went half. What if it had been <laughs> Anthony Clare and friends? And it had been an explanation. <laughs> He knew how horrible it was being in love with you enough, and he had some solutions to the problems. Thanks to his great learning in the field of psychiatry. Why didn't he perform that in Saturday's Superstore? I had a point to make at the Beastie Boys, and I can't remember what it was, so I delete that note. What kind of gay bar asks you if you're gay? I've been in gay bars. I'm not gay. They let you in if you're not gay. They don't even ask. In fact, they can tell. Mark looks at porn with his bedroom door open. I don't even look at TV Arc with my bedroom door open. <laughs> this is the vibe that I'm getting here, okay? First of all, I'm not going to do the accent because I can't, but first of all, I'm getting this vibe that you think that you're under some sort of peer pressure to like this show. It's okay if you don't like yes, it. Yes, from you. No, no. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, okay, yes, I rave about it all the time and quote it liberally and what have you, but point is that we can all like different things. So you're not under any pressure to like Peep Show. I well, just, excellent then. That's it. But We're I just, done here. I just find it strange that you watch six and, and a half series before the then sitcom. deciding that. Because I don't like doing things by halves. I had been asked. I had been asked to watch Peep Show and it just so happened that this time I was connected to... A means of communication that had, I think, seven or eight series all there. Also, I had kind of a cold. I'd been, I was in bed a lot, so it's like, right, well, I can just watch one after the other. I don't have to fit it around other things because I'm sick. I think the important point to reiterate here is that you're not supposed to look at Mark and Jeremy and think, oh, those are my guys. They're my heroes. I want to be like well, them. Well, that was... Well, not, not not so much I want to be like them, but that's what I'd been heard. People said, we all recognize that. We all feel like that. This is my generation's thing. But you must recognize some of the aspects of like, the Weirdly emotions distorted. and the situations that they go through. No. So have you never been nervous before a presentation? Or underprepared? Or nervous about asking somebody out? Not immediately before. By the time it's immediately before... There's that state of calmness that comes with the inevitable. The worry really is two or three days beforehand. And you've never had, say, angst because you've only painted half of your bedroom and you've left it unfinished for several years on end. Okay, that's very specific. Okay, I'll let you off with that one. But sometimes it's a comedy of embarrassment. Sometimes it's a comedy of recognition. I'm not really good with the comedy of embarrassment. I'm not really good with cringe comedy. Well, here's another note. You can't stay mad at Elgar. Well, Squiddy and I were saying earlier on, we were talking about how this is, in its own nice little way, this is counterculture for sitcoms at this time because everything in 2003, and let's face it, half the stuff still in 2015, is aping The Office. So you've got the comedy of embarrassment everywhere, the comedy of awkward pauses and ridiculously overblown reactions to relatively minor things. Whereas Peep Show, because you've got that internal monologue constantly going on in Mark and Jeremy's heads, you don't have any time for awkward silences or moments like that. So that's one reason perhaps why it's so appealing is because it's something very different. And there's not really any other show like it because there's no other show that has that device, that has that vehicle. 
I did actually suggest to G earlier on that maybe Netflix could invent a button that allows you to hear the inner thoughts of, say, Frank Spencer or Hyacinth, <laughs> but I'm not really sure that's something you'd want to do. Hyacinth has any inner thoughts. Hyacinth has no inner life. So you know the bowling alley one? Yeah. The teenage goth and everything? Yeah. There is one thing Mark does in there that I've always wanted to do. Bowling fruit. Bowling overarm. <laughs> bowling overarm at a bowling alley. <coughs> okay, he he doesn't do it with the ball, does he? He does it with the fruit, but bowling overarm at a bowling alley. That is nice. Well, okay. There are a couple of things you said, and I think I can identify those as two things I have a problem with. One, sitcom. I'm sick of sitcoms. I don't like sitcoms. Sitcoms are stupid. Eggnog. Eggnog is better than sitcoms. Two, 21st century. I don't belong here. Maybe the 20th. Maybe the 22nd. Maybe the 18th. You've been watching too much Christmas Carol. I haven't said that. Maybe the 25th with Buck Rogers. Okay, right. I see an honourable exit. And I don't really think I should be giving you this honourable exit because I think your conduct here has been an absolute disgrace. It's very nice of you to bring this Japanese sword. It would be honourable, but I have to say it's not my style. Who was it that came up with that stupid expression that nobody really means or believes even when they say it? I don't agree with whatever the hell it is pish that you're spouting, but uh, I'll defend to my death your right Voltaire? to say it. Oh, whatever. I right. disagree with what you say, but I will defend unto the death your right to say it. Whereas, really, I'm more of a diplomatic mindset most of the time, which is, I disagree with what you say. I will give you the impression I am okay with you being able to say it, and I am going to poison your water supply. <laughs> or to quote Bill Maynard in Carry On Dick, I'll piss in your ale. Never mind. I saw when he said Carry On Dick for a moment, I thought I didn't really register the words Carry On Dick, and I just thought you said Selwyn Frog it. Seemed a bit out of character for him. I'll be absolutely honest. The way that I'm feeling right now the damage that you've done to my social standing by your behaviour at this party, I would quite happily take a leak in your Kool-Aid right now. But, no, I'll hold off. And I will give you, against my better judgement, I will give you an honourable way out of all this. For the next little while, let's stop talking about sitcoms and we'll stop living in the 21st century. Let's make Jaffa Cakes for Proust our little escape from everyday life. How's that? What escape from everyday life? No, these are the tools we need to improve I'm everyday life. I'm bloody well offering you this. Just say yes and take it and be bloody glad of it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, for God's sake. Do you want to talk about Doctor Who and Dave Lodge and the Bee Gees? That actually meant to come out as the Beach Boys, and I don't know why it changed halfway through. <laughs> talk about the Bee Gees. I have a few Bee Gees albums. I'm not watching that Frankie Howard film. It's bloody awful. Oh, it is, isn't it? Oh, what? <laughs> right, okay. Right, that goes on the list. So here's we the deal. We need to find two more that are equally as bad. What's that one with Peter Sellers and... Is it George Harrison or is it Ringo Starr? You know, the... the, the oh, the, the Magic Mag Christian. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, that can, mm -hmm. that can go in there as well. That split the Beatles up. Did it? Well, they were put under extra pressure during the Twickenham rehearsals for this concert that never happened because Ringo had to start shooting the film in February. So they didn't have all the time in the world to get their heads together for the get back sessions. Car. And I think that extra pressure caused tempers to flare up, which ended up splitting up the Beatles. Blimey. So let's do this. Jaffa Cakes for Proust. We'll move forward with this. We'll occasionally bring out the sitcom club, dust it off, 
have little celebratory specials now and then. We, we don't have to do it in this flat, do we? I quite like the fact that there's 5,000 miles usually between us. This is not actually a real flat. They did use a real flat for the first couple of series of Peep Show, and since then it's been a set, which I think is in Shepparton, I'm not sure. But anyway, yes, so the pew point wasn't real. There's no twiglets. All right, so, okay, Jaffa Cakes were proofed from here on in. We occasionally dust off the sitcom club for specials and what have you throughout 2016, but we're not going to do it in this flat, and any suggestion of any peep show style bromance is officially done and dusted oh there. thank god i've said it because we're, we're not mark and jess and we're not eric and ernie we're not mike and bernie we're not laurel and hardy we're not even wheeler and woolsey well obviously we're about 17 percent wheeler and woolsey and if we get any more we're gonna have to decide which one of us gets to keep wearing glasses all right onwards and upwards to the top we shall proceed with jaffa cakes we shall have occasional sitcom club specials throughout 2016. And meanwhile, we shall delve into all manner of popular culture and less popular culture and downright unpopular culture. One condition, though, I'm not watching any of that Abel Gons. I'm sorry, w- what did you say? No, I'm sorry, that is my last offer. No, no, it's not that. You pronounced it correctly. It's a Christmas miracle. Merry Christmas. They came back in quietly. Goodbye, everybody. Don't watch any more sitcoms until we give you permission. Bye.